Welcome in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Tyler Donahue, as always, joined by Sean Fitz. And on this week, the football universe is centered in Nashville, Tennessee, where the NFL draft is set to occur uh, beginning Thursday night, extending all the way deep into the day Saturday. Seven rounds and as many as seven or more, maybe, Penn State players in the mix, uh, we think, uh, to be considered as draft prospects. We'll get into all that uh, little individual breakdowns of some of these uh, Penn State players looking to make the professional leap uh, this week. Sean, bringing you in, obviously this is uh, something that comes every year and, and Penn State is always going to produce guys. They have a chance to produce more than, than they have in a long time in this particular draft. And for you and I who co- spend so much time covering recruiting, uh, this is where the dream is truly realized uh, for these guys who've, who've had the focus on the NFL, went and made their mark in college, and, and now they feel ready uh, to, to step up to the highest level of the sport. Yeah, there's a story with every single guy in here, and it's really cool to, to sit back and think about these guys. I mean, we've we've known some of these guys uh, since they were freshmen and sophomores in high school, and it's really to see it come to fruition is pretty awesome. And and to think about it from a Penn State perspective, obviously last year was the year you had the, the higher draft picks and, and, and a lot of success coming out of the combine. This year, I think, is is equally as fascinating because we were doing our own little mocks, and we were, we're all over the place right now because you've got you're, you're not sure which one's going to be the first off the board. Is it going to be Amani or Miles or, or McGovern? Um, but, you know, there, there, there's fascination everywhere with where guys like Trace McSorley are going to end up. So, I mean, it, 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 like I said, we were putting together these mocks and it was just kind of like, OK, he could fit here, but I don't think he's going to last that long or I don't think he's going to go off the board that early. But, you know, you look at all these the positions that these Penn State guys can play and, you know, McGovern can play a couple positions. Um, you know, McSorley, there's a, there's a glut of bad quarterbacks in the league and, and, you know, you've got an opportunity for him to move up around because of that. And Bates is, is, is a tackle that played, or excuse me, a guard that played tackle his college career. So there's a lot of projection, a lot of, uh, crazy things that could happen in this draft. I mean, I don't see anybody sneaking up into the first round, but you know, you, you could have some surprises from a Penn State point of view. Yeah. Remember this, this time last year, Saquon Barkley, obviously one of the faces of the NFL draft in 2018, a lot of, uh, questions concerns about whether the Giants were going to pick him go after that quarterback maybe Sam Darnold obviously we know how it turns out Saquon wins rookie of the year Uh, but I think fans uh, on the Penn State perspective though gonna have to wait a little bit longer to to see the Penn State mojo going in this draft you may have to to wait until Friday that's what uh, most of the projections look like our projections on on our Penn State specific mock draft um, indicate that you're gonna have to wait till day two day three to see a lot of these names come off the board but when they do um, again, the volume is going to be something worth worth uh, you know looking at, and that's specifically with the underclassmen. We'll get to these guys individually, but before we do, Sean, you pointed this out uh, about an hour or so ago. Um, you know, mo- five underclassmen looks like you know will be drafted here. Maybe someone falls out. We'll find out. But but that number stark contrast to the underclassmen who have who have you know taken this path out of Penn State. Yeah, there's been a couple of times when when a few underclassmen went off the board most recently. I think Austin Johnson and Hackenberg went off uh, a couple of years ago, Jesse James and Donovan Smith the year before. But, I mean, this is really unprecedented, and it looks back to the guys that, that decided to leave early. Um, we're going to find out if they made good picks. I mean, let's uh, – or a good choice. I guess that's pretty much the, the most blatant way to say it. I think – uh, out of all the guys that made it, I mean, I think you're probably looking at Kevin Givens on that line, but that's really nothing new. I mean, that's kind of what we said when he uh, when he got out of there, but he tested well enough in the combine and, and beyond to, I think, move into some teams' draft boards. And, you know, he's, he's kind of a guy that uh, you look at the measurables and they're not ideal, but guys have been successful at that level that, that have had similar me- measurables. He's a, he's a twitchy guy. He can get off the ball and make plays, and, and guys uh, and teams are looking for that. So I think there's a, there's a slot for all these guys I think there's um, a, you know a place where guys can uh, settle in as, as uh, free agents coming out of it and, and we've said this before I mean that's almost ideal if you're if you're a late seventh round guy you might as well pick where you're going to end up it worked for a guy like Brennan Mann last year so we'll see if that happens but Tyler I'm not sure you know this but last year uh, Andrew and I put a six-pack on this um, in terms of who was going to be closer. So just I don't want to put any pressure on you with your picks, but I won that last year, and I, I'm looking to repeat this year. 
why stop at six? We can talk all fair, but uh, yeah, let's go for it. I can tell you right now, um, haven't seen your specific picks yet. I know we're going to talk about them, but me and Mark in some cases are about you know 90 picks away from each other. Um, so I'd imagine there's going to be major discrepancy. Um, and let's let's start with that. Let's go toward the top. You mentioned Givens being the guy who s- some view as being a borderline player toward the bottom end of the draft board. How about some sure things, names we know are going to get called? And and for a while now, Amani Oruorie has been considered Penn State's top draft prospect. We've seen Miles Sanders, Connor McGovern, you know, maybe push for that title. Uh, I think Sanders specifically could end up ahead of him in the draft. But with Oruorie, you know, the word has been out for a while. Um, two-time Big Ten uh, all-conference all selection. Last year, stepping into the starting role. You know, I thought he did, did a nice job bouncing back from a, some, some adverse moments. Obviously, had a game-sealing interception against App State. And his length is something that NFL coaches are always going to covet at the position. I've got Amani locked in into the second round. Uh, pick number 55 going to the Houston Texans, who could really use some help bouncing out their defensive pass rush in the backfield, dealing with Andrew Lux and, and Nick Foles now in that division. Um, so I've got him you know, ending up with a pretty nice payday, landing in round number two. I have him in the second round as well, and and I think I'm I, I, looking at mock drafts. I think I'm well outside the the realm of where everybody thinks he's going to go. I have him 35 to the Raiders, and I'm not sure the Raiders will end up making that pick. Uh, I think uh, early in the second round, you see teams start to trade up on the, on the early in day two. Um, but John Gruden, Mike Mayock, I mean, they, this is the kind of guy that they covet. They obviously need help all over the place. Corner is one of those spots, and and I have him at 35 to the Raiders. I think that's probably a little high, but I could see it. And, uh, you know, I checked Pro Football Focus has the same thing, so apparently I'm not the only crazy one. But I have 35th to the Raiders just because you never know what John Gruden's going to do, and I'm exci- that's one of the reasons I'm excited for this draft. Sean, if you know what the Raiders are doing in the draft, you are strides ahead of people who get paid a lot of money to cover the NFL um, because it sounds like uh, no one no one has a hand on what what Oakland is gonna or what Oakland's going to do soon to be Las Vegas. Um, now, I, the guy who I have actually going first among Penn State players is Miles Sanders. Now, based on Amani going thirty five for you, I don't know if that will be the case. Um, Sanders has made this case, uh, you know, during the past few months. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, their eyes have been open in terms of what he's capable of doing as a as a pass receiver. Maybe something that wasn't as apparent during the actual season last year. Um, then additionally, tested well. Um, he's a guy who I think it you know had some home run interviews along the way, and, and now here he is. I think sitting in a good spot to be the second running back off the board. The consensus seems to be uh, Josh Jacobs out of Alabama. Uh, will be the first running back off the board. A lot of people projecting him in the late stages of the first round. We've seen Miles Sanders, you know, get a lot of top 40 pick talk. Just not sure if there's a need for running back where we'll see someone make a, make a move to get him, an aggressive move before the first round ends. I don't have him lasting much longer, though. I've got him going with the 38th overall pick, um, the sixth pick of the second round uh, to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And and Leonard Fournette was the number four overall pick for them a couple of years ago. But he's a guy who, who hasn't proven to, to be uh, consistently healthy through his first couple of years. I think he's uh, he's also somebody who, who they're going to want to balance and, and not you know fully throw the workload on. And with T.J. Yeldon going to the Buffalo Bills, that is a perfect spot for Miles Sanders. Yeldon was a primary receiver for them out of the backfield last year. Uh, also, you know, a very capable runner. So I think Sanders goes into a spot where they've got Nick Foles there. Uh, they've got Leonard Fournette. They're going to want to continue to build that offensive backfield. And I think he'd be in a, in, a, in a really good place where he could be that number two running back. Leonard Fournette has some shaky uh, health issues. You know, you're one pulled hamstring away from, from stepping up and being the, the bell cow for that offense. So um, I think number 38 would be a pretty positive result for Sanders, especially since we still see a lot of mock drafts with him slipping into the third round. That would be huge for Sanders, and I'm just I'm just not a big fan of taking a running back that early. I think you can get by and and have success without doing that. Um, and, and the Buccaneers are right there at 39; they need a running back as well. But uh, I have him slipping number 79 to the Falcons. Uh, the Falcons obviously, uh, you know, reshaped their backfield this off season, and and I could see him being that complimentary guy. Um, I, I don't know that the Falcons is necessarily the best fit, but they'll get him the ball and they like to work multiple backs in there. And I think it's late enough where the value is very good to get him uh, at 79. Um, you know, I could see him landing a spot like Kansas City or, or Los Angeles. And there's been a lot of talk about Philly. Uh, I'm not sure that Philly 
is the spot anymore, but uh, Baltimore as well could be in that mix. So there's there's a lot of attractive places for him to to go in and be a number two back. I just I think the position value is so low um, based off of what we've seen in the last couple of years and how they've been able to find guys that fit into those positions that aren't necessarily high draft picks. And I think that's you know that doesn't mean that you know him going 79 as I project um, would make him you know the fourth or fifth back off the board. I still think he's going to be the first or second back off the board. I just don't see a high priority in this draft class for, for, for running backs. Yep. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you what, that Falcon spot, when I was looking at a possible landing, uh, you know, with them losing, losing Tevin Coleman, they're a team that stood out as well, but I just don't see him falling that far for his sake. I hope that, for, hope that doesn't happen. Uh, but you're absolutely right about running back spot. There are some very good college running backs who looked the part and have gone on to have NFL great NFL careers, uh, but they had to do so as mid-round picks, and, and Miles Sanders could be looking at that reality. Obviously, I'm a little bit more positive uh, than a lot of analysts are in that regard with my projection. Now, staying on the offensive side of the football for Penn State, Connor McGovern, uh, one of two underclassmen offensive linemen leaving early, a guy who played a lot of football for Penn State, some at center, some at guard. He was the starting right guard last season, um, and, and he's somebody who, you know, really since these uh, big boards have been compiled. I remember one of the earliest, Mel Kuyper, during the season had him as one of the top interior offensive linemen, uh, and he's kind of maintained that trajectory. Um, you know, for me, uh, that means third round. Uh, I know Connor said he was hearing second round from a lot of assessments. Wouldn't surprise me if he ended up being in the second round, but I've got him going number 81 overall to the Minnesota Vikings, a team that fired their offensive coordinator last year, uh, has a lot of blame going in the direction of their quarterback, has a pedestrian run game, and really needs to retool their offensive line. And I think uh, McGovern, the versatility is there. He's got a great track record of staying on the football field and being available in terms of avoiding injuries during his college career with a lot of extensive time. Um, so, you know, I, I think he's the first uh, lineman off the board for Penn State in this draft. I think he's the first lineman off the board as well. It's interesting on McGovern because the the people around Penn State and Penn State fans will give you a very different evaluation of Connor McGovern based off of his uh, his play this year. So to see him and mocked in the late second or third round and be one of the top interior offensive linemen on the on the board, I mean that's it's crazy when you think about it. Considering he was not that great last year, so um, we'll see what happens. I think he's still a pretty good prospect. He's got the the measurables, the athleticism, the versatility. I think he can end up back at center at the next level. I have him going at 93 to the Jets. Um, I think the Jets can use help everywhere, and you know they'll they'll probably use the middle rounds to address their offensive line. I think McGovern fits in there. I think they have a couple of picks in that in that third round. So. Um, it's, I'm not sure how his pro career is going to play out. A lot of people like him. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm, I, I don't hate Connor McGovern in terms of as a prospect, but just, I, I wanted to see more in the last couple of years. And, and so it wasn't a complete surprise that he came out, but based on his credentials, I mean, his, his, his ranking seems higher than, than the, t- the tape would indicate. Yeah, he played a lot of football, and, and so did Ryan Bates, who we'll get to in a moment. But I don't think either of us would say, look at that 2018 team and, and, and point out, you know, the, the dominant players on offense. You know, those guys, you know, they didn't stand out game by game by game. And they were third-team all-conference selections. So that doesn't exactly scream, you know, second-round NFL draft pick. But clearly, Connor McGovern making a strong impression uh, on these NFL scouts based on a lot of what we're hearing. Um, now, the next man up uh, for me, Sean, is actually Sharif Miller. I've got him toward the top of the fourth round. Again, seems to be a little high um, in terms of the spectrum of where he's going, uh, but I've got him at 116 to the Miami Dolphins. They lost a former Penn State uh, player in Cameron Wake, who was a very good edge rusher for them for a decade plus. Um, I don't think he's going to, going to fill the void by himself, but their new coach, Brian Flores, who built himself up as a defensive assistant with the Patriots, he's going to want to find guys with bite who can come in and provide some energy for this team on the field. Um, and I just think I think Sharif Miller you know, fits the bill in a lot of ways uh, for what they're looking to do. And, and the second year in a row that Miami would pick a, a Penn State player, obviously Mike Gesicki at tight end in the second round last year. So Sharif Miller, who has – you know, as as interesting a background and as challenging a background as any Penn State draft prospect here in 2018 uh, would fulfill his dreams and, and get a chance to do it with the Miami Dolphins. I will keep hammering at home every time we talk about Sharif Miller, a better player than people will give him credit for over the last couple of years. Uh, probably Penn State's most complete uh, edge rusher, um, you know, going into the draft. I'm not, I'm not saying he's Matos or anything like that, but 
Um, I really, uh, really like what I've seen with Sharif, and I don't know that he's going to go that high. I like the Dolphins as a fit, but I have him going, uh, and this probably is not going to happen, but 163 to the Eagles. He's a Philly kid. I think he could do a lot of good in Philly. I think he can uh, you know, hang in there and be one of their, their, their situational guys to start, and I think he can eventually be a starter in the league. So um, I like him to, to the Eagles. Not Again, not sure that that's going to happen, but a, a mid-fifth round, I think mid to late fifth round is where I have him at 163. Um, but uh, it's it, it seems like a good fit for him. Man, if you went to Philly, you talk about the stories that would be written once uh, once those beat reporters get a full understanding of, of his background. And, and additionally, Sharif told us at Penn State Pro Day that his grandfather would probably, you know, get knocked down on the ground about how, by excitement if he ends up on his favorite squad, the Philadelphia Eagles. So that would be a great match in terms of family and, and fit and all that. Um, now back on the offensive line, Ryan Bates, uh, again, another guy who started 35 games at Penn State a lot on his resume with the Nittany Lions uh, tackle guard and, and I should mention both tackle spots so another versatile player a guy who played substantial snaps um, but again someone who I see you know being in the second half of this draft personally uh, I've got him sliding maybe a bit further than others sixth round pick number 192 to the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, where I think he would be a depth-enhancing move. Um, you know, Nothing I saw from him at Penn State suggests he's going to develop into a dominant lineman who is a centerpiece of your offensive front, but I think he's been consistent. I think he's been adaptable to what coaching staffs ha- have asked of him, and I th- certainly think he displays the athleticism that that could warrant, uh, you know, a, a late round pick here. And so sixth round may not be the, the best end result for a guy who left early, but I think that's where he gets his foot in the door. I, I actually have him three picks later at 195 to the Texans. So that kind of, you know, makes sense to me. Um, he's a guard playing tackle. Um, not, not that that's out of the realm of, of what we've seen in, in the draft the last couple of years. I mean, a lot of these guys that go end up playing guard, uh, you know, are tackles at the, at the college level. But Bates has a lot of film. He's uh, obviously, as you mentioned, he's he's adapted to a couple of different uh, playing styles. And, and I think he's done fairly well for himself. He's been consistent more than anything. And that's uh, that's really the, the way to go with Bates. And, and he seems a middle to a late round. And, and Bill O'Brien recruited him back when he was, uh, you know, at Arch. Bishop Wood, so I think there's a little bit of a connection there. The Texans always need help up front, and he's a he's a versatile guy. He can play four positions, and we'll see if that comes to it. But I have him right around where you do, going to the Texans at 195. All right, let's stay in the trenches. Kevin Givens may be the most under the radar uh, among these Penn State prospects in terms of, of of Nittany Lions fans, you know, looking looking towards this draft because let's face it, Givens came in as an unheralded recruit, a late addition to that class when he got to Penn State. But this is a guy who ultimately logged twenty two starts with the Nittany Lions, had twenty one and a half tackles for loss, thirteen sacks, and routinely throughout twenty eighteen, Sean, after he served that suspension in the season opener, time and time again we heard from Frank from players that Givens was an overlooked commodity for them on the defensive front while guys like Miller and, and uh, certainly Itor Gross Matos were getting were getting love racking up the stats Givens was pointed to as someone who you know kept the kept things moving in the right direction I see a fit for him with the Dallas Cowboys I know Rod Marinelli has not shied away as a defensive coordinator from, from you know using you know quote-unquote undersized defensive tackles with which Givens is at the NFL level um No, when he's at his best, he's a guy who can be very penetrative. I think he gives uh, offensive lineman fits in terms of his quickness and and uh, you know staying low. And just uh, to me, uh, Dallas Cowboys. The reason this works is I think they have a really strong front seven, one of the more emerging front sevens in football right now. But the depth, uh, I, I think they're they're hurting, especially interior. Kevin Givens would be a nice fit. I think he could push for second team duties as a rookie. And again, fifth round, uh, that you know, based on the projections, that would be a home run for him. Uh, Dallas does not have a six rounder. I saw a fit here, and, and maybe I stuck with it uh, to the point where I, I put him a little bit higher than I was comfortable with. But that's that's the result I got. Yeah, I mean that makes sense with uh, with Rob Marinelli. I mean it's not. Uh, I, I don't think that that draft slot is probably where they'll go with that but I think the team fit makes sense I have him on the board a little bit longer going to the Lions at 224 which I believe is early in the seventh round um, again it's it's tough to overcome some of that height and some of that length but guys have done it and NFL teams have noticed that guys have done it and they're willing to take a chance on some of those guys even college I mean even colleges are sort of moving in that direction right now if you're 
um, sudden and can make an impact, uh, you know, be a depth guy. I have the Lions taking him at 224, and I think he's a good fit for their defense. Uh, they move move some guys around. I think he can be disruptive in there. Um, can also play special teams, which, you know, not all of your defensive tackles, uh, not, not that he's a true defensive tackle, but not all of your defensive tackles can do that. So he's got some value. He really helped himself in the offseason, showcasing his athleticism and his strength. Um, I, I don't know that he's going to be a, a guy that starts or anything like that, but I think he's a guy that can make a roster and, and help you out in a couple of different ways. So seventh round seems about right. Um, you know, the, the Lions seem like a decent fit, um, but, you know, there's, there, there's spots for him. You and I are a couple of rounds apart there, you know, in other spots. And, and same goes with Mark Brennan's projections on lines 24-7. And I think it really speaks to the uncertainty. Once you get past day two, you know, anything can go on, on that Saturday afternoon. Remember Troy Apke going in the fourth round last year and stunning a lot of people, you know, getting selected in front of Marcus Allen even out of that own Penn State backfield was a stunner for a lot of folks out there. So, you know, all it takes is for one team to fall in love with a guy and he ends up going a lot earlier earlier than you thought he would. Um, maybe that's where I'm going with Givens because I know fifth round sounds a, a little high for him, um, but we'll find out. Uh, now, now we'll get to another name that I know people are probably waiting on, but there's one more defensive player from Penn State not getting as much buzz as a as a draft prospect, but certainly someone who I think is gonna is gonna fight and, and get a chance to, to earn a spot on an NFL roster, and that is Nick Scott, a starting safety for Penn State last year, a two-time team captain for the Nittany Lions during his career, and and a very much a guy who helped his stock with the pro day performance in, in testing numbers, uh, the vertical leap, the forty-yard dash. Very, very strong day for him there to state his case. And I think special teams will be his his route to an NFL roster. And it's something that was his forte in college football. He was the special teams captain as a junior. Um, I don't have him getting drafted, Sean. Uh, but he is, out of all the guys who I don't think will get drafted, he's the one who I think ends up on an NFL roster and staying there in 2019. Remember last year we saw uh, Brendan Mahan and um, and obviously uh, Jason Gabinda going to the Raiders as well as undrafted players who, who made their mark. Yeah, Blacknell as well. But uh, right. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he's an undrafted free agent athletically. You know, he can he could get into the league, no doubt about it. But it's going to come on special teams. Don't know that he has the tape to back that up to to warrant a late draft pick. Um, but, you know, I think I think it's Gil Brandt that's really high on him, has him in his top 200 or something like that. So um, so athletically, I think he's there. But I agree with you. I think he's going to have to take the undrafted route. And again, that's not the worst thing in the world. So um, you got him. You've got uh, DeAndre Tompkins is in there. Uh, Koa Farmer is also in there. So you've got some guys that have the opportunity to, to catch on in a camp. Um, it's gonna it's gonna take a little bit. It's an uphill climb, but but I think Scott's the most likely out of that group. All right. So from one captain to another, uh, Trace McSorley, and, and he is you know all due respect to to the intrigue about who's going to be the first Penn State player selected, whether it's Sanders or Oroarie or McGovern. This is the storyline that I think is most captivating when we're focused on Nittany Lions. First off, we're talking about uh, an historically successful quarterback at the college level, one of three players all time in the Big Ten to account for a hundred or more touchdowns. His list of Penn State records is very long, but this is something we see you know routinely extremely accomplished uh, accoladed college quarterbacks not being viewed as tangible long-term solutions at the position in the NFL. We've heard about McSorley potentially being pushed to explore other positions on the football field to extend his career. He's going to focus on quarterback here at the start at the very least, but there is, you know, speculation that he will not get drafted at all. There is the question of, is it better for him not to get drafted at all than it would be for him to get picked in the final 50 picks, especially because he can find the right system, the right coordinator, the right depth chart for himself. I do have Trace McSorley getting drafted, Sean. I've got him going round six, uh, pick number 193 to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, so the Ravens, you know, th they're going to be reliant upon a, a versatile run attack here. That they, they are going all in that direction, old school football in a lot of ways. And Lamar Jackson is leading the way. He's somebody who's going to put himself in harm's way a lot as a quarterback because of his running ability. He won a Heisman Trophy because of it, but NFL defenders are going to get shots at him. And the only other quarterback on that roster right now is RG3. And you want to talk about a quarterback who has a checkered medical history, uh, that's, that's Robert Griffin III. They jettisoned Joe Flacco, traded him, to the Denver Broncos and to me 
This is not a team that needs to bring in a quarterback early. This is not a team that needs to go out and get a veteran. They can find a spot here late in the draft, maybe go the undrafted route as well. And I think Trace McSorley is a good answer for them because it's clear they're going to stress uh, a rushing ability at the quarterback position, the way they are structuring their offense. And I think they would find an accountable, uh, you know, an athletic number three option here and see where it goes from here. See if he can maybe supplant RG3 as your long-term number two. And again, I just think the jury's still out in Lamar Jackson for as impressive as he was uh, as a rookie at times. He's got a long way to go as a, as a passer. Um, there's going to be a lot more game film on him for defensive coaches to study across the league. And again, I just think he's going to take shots. Uh, that's that's how it goes in the NFL until you you know work your way back toward that pocket and stop scrambling too much. And 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 he's designed rushes. Lamar Jackson's going to take his hits. So I think one, it would be a good fit for Trace McSorley in terms of maybe getting some opportunities to do stuff on the field. But number two, I think it's a good investment for the Baltimore Ravens uh, as they look to you know add that third quarterback to their team. The Ravens were one of the spots I looked at as well. I, I agree with everything you said. I think he he could fit into there, especially because they've moved away from the Flacco and moved to Lamar Jackson, which is obviously a, a different style. And RG3 is there, and I appreciate the the shot on there about his uh, his health history. So thanks for opening up that wound. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, I have him in the sixth round as well, and I'd like to apologize first to Trace. I have him going to the Redskins at 206, and I don't want to do that to anybody, um, knowing that I am a big Redskins fan. Um, and it's just a, a terrible, terrible thing to wish on anybody. But I think he fits. Um, and, and if Chase Daniel's been in the league since 2009, I think McSorley can catch on. Again, there's a lot of bad quarterbacks out there, a lot of guys that have stuck around for a long time. Trace McSorley's a smart guy. He's an athletic guy. When he's healthy, he's more accurate, and that's something that teams are going to like. I, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world if he holds a clipboard for a couple of years. I think he can stick in the league. I've said that before. So um, I have him going to the Redskins. Um, you know, they've got... Uh, They've got a couple of quarterbacks whose legs work right now, um, a couple that don't. So he's got an opportunity to break in there. He's a local kid. I think he grew up a Redskins fan um, as well. So, I mean, it's uh, it kind of makes sense from that aspect. It, it kind of depends, and I'm kind of wishing wishing this on uh, on Washington so they don't move up and get Daniel Jones or do something stupid like that, um, which they eventually will. Um, but it's uh, I think it's a decent fit for him. He'd have an opportunity to come in and, and, and eventually play. Um, so I'll go with the Redskins, even though that's, that's kind of, uh, it's kind of my head talking, kind of my, uh, my heart wishing that it doesn't happen. But, uh, I think, I think he can stick around and that's, that's the thing to take away from it. There's, there's guys that are, that, that are in this league that are not as physically gifted as, as McSorley. There are guys in this league that's not as, you know, that they, they don't grasp the game like him. And, and when you play like him for as much as he has, somebody's going to get an opportunity. Somebody's going to like this kid. And Washington just seems like a wild card to me. That's interesting, and and I'm sure when we get together on Monday, you'd have your McSorley Redskins jersey uh, ready to roll. You'd have it have it on, and uh, you know it, it's It'll funny go well with the RG three jersey that's <laughs> hanging in the closet. It's yeah. funny that you mentioned uh, the Redskins because Colt McCoy is the name I keep going back to in terms of Trace McSorley, a, a guy who was not viewed as a high NFL draft prospect. He landed in the middle of the third round, so that's obviously higher than where Trace McSorley is projected. But considering what he accomplished in his career with the Texas Longhorns, another guy who went over 100 total touchdowns in his college career was considered one of the top, you know, uh, you know, dual threat quarterbacks, uh, a guy who could, could hurt you in a lot of ways. He's carved out a really nice uh, professional career for himself. The Browns, the Niners, the Redskins. I know he's been in Washington since, what, 2014, uh, and, and now he's getting his shots to start. To me, there is a lot about his path in the NFL that I think, you know, if, if things go right for Trace McSorley, I could see a, a similar trajectory where he is an accountable member of that quarterback room, a guy who's ready when needed, but not the guy you're leaning on, not the guy you're tasking with the game plan every week. He's preparing, he's preparing, and then there's certain spots in your career, the longer you play, where there's going to be opportunities that show up. You can show that you're a starting quarterback. Sometimes it, work, it works out. A lot of time it doesn't, and you spend the rest of your career as a reserve. But I think, you know, Trace McSorley, I, I've, I've mentioned this before, Colt McCoy to me in his career path, I think if Trace McSorley could follow something similar, that would a, be a good uh, return on, on a professional career. Obviously, I know a lot of people would say, well, don't short sell him. You know, Trace McSorley, why can't he be a Pro Bowl NFL quarterback? You know, thinking of term, in terms of uh, his view right, right now as an NFL draft prospect, uh, I, I think that, that would be a nice result. 
Yeah, and Colt McCoy going through another leg procedure this week because the doctors can't get it right. Um, so there's there's opportunity in Washington. But uh, yeah, Colt McCoy and Chase Daniel are two of those undersized guys that are often lumped in with with McSorley. So I don't think that's out of uh, out of nowhere. So. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's a funny situation wishing Washington on somebody. But again, this is more me saying don't draft Daniel Jones, Dan Snyder. Uh, anyway, uh, moving on to the current team, not a ton happening. Of course, uh, last time we talked a little bit more about Tommy Stevens transfer. Um, nothing much changed on that front other than, you know, we believe he's gone for good now. Uh, but a, a couple of things popped up uh, of, of note this week, and they were on Twitter uh, a couple of 40 times that were c- sort of eye-popping. Um, you know, we know that Jason always a freak. We know that Micah Parsons is a freak. Parsons posted 4-4-1, Awey 4-3-3. I think that's a, a little optimistic. Probably took the lowest watch uh, that they had on him. But, uh, no, it's just uh, interesting to see this level of speed coming to Penn State. We know what kind of athleticism these guys have as prospects, but uh, I'm really excited to see this defense take the field, and this is another reason why. Yeah, who needs a press conference when we have Twitter? You know, all these guys rushing to social media to share these ridiculous times uh, yesterday, and um, yesterday meaning Wednesday. And I think with Jason, 4-3-3, I mean – my goodness, uh, even if it's in that realm, four four two sounded crazy uh, when he was doing that. And, and this is a guy who's up to, what, 250 pounds at this point. Um, it's, it's unreal. And it just goes to show this defense is, is, especially in the defensive front seven, loaded with elite athletes, uh, some of whom are still finding their way at, at, at their positions. Both Jason and Micah are guys who, you know, you know, are, are still working on their craft. Mike goes one year into linebacker. Jason is, you know, three seasons into his football career in general. Um, but yeah, the, the times were outrageous. And then of course, uh, game of one, one ups. Um, and, and all of a sudden some, some even and more impressive times began to get revealed. But again, I want to remind listeners, we don't know the details here. Uh, we, we, we know sometimes some things that were vaguely hinted at, but don't necessarily know the conditions, whose finger was on the stopwatch, uh, but not surprised to hear that that these guys are fast. What's crazy about this, Penn State's 40 times are actually pretty accurate. So this is this is the way they, they, they line them up. They get a couple of watches on them. They average them out. Like I said, Jason's 4-3-3 was probably the lowest watch on him, so he may have had a 4-4 something on him. Um, you know, they'll average that out, but you know, the guys that they, they, they averaged out lower than that, Drew Hartlob, of course, the, the walk on safety journey Brown, who, you know, if you, you look at that kind of speed, um, you, you know, what he's done as a sprinter at the high school level, but that kind of speed at running back is, is something to watch. And KJ Hamler, who honestly never was a, a real speed demon type track guy. Um, he was always a guy that you looked at as a quicker rather than fast, but he's really developed into being fast, especially coming off of that knee injury. So those three guys, um, you know, even beat the, the four, three, three. So, uh, a lot of speed on this team. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's got to show up, and that's especially true with Awe. I mean, you're not sure where he's at in his development because we haven't seen much of him. I still think he's a situational pass rusher at this point, but at some point you're going to put him out there. You're going to tell him go after the quarterback, and, you know, that's all he has to do. So uh, really interested to see how this translates onto the field. I think probably the, the most intriguing one is Hamler uh, followed by Journey Brown. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch these guys grow up, and and a lot of these guys still very early into their Penn State careers. Yeah, and, and a couple of things there. Journey Brown is, is I think a lot of people hear that he's a speedster. He's got the you know the the track history, one of the fastest guys to come out of Pennsylvania at the high school level. He is not a small running back. I mean, this is a guy who you, you look at him on the field. He he's a bigger bigger running back, two hundred and five, two hundred and ten pound range. Uh, you know, near six foot. So, uh, you know, he, he's not slight build. Obviously, KJ Hamler is one of the, the, the smaller guys in the team, um, but <laughs> he can certainly run away from you. And the other thing here is, yeah, with, with Jason, um, again, everything that we've heard from Sean Spencer, you would expect the positive reinforcement, but you also expect the real truth fr- from Spencer when he evaluates a lot of these guys. And, and he'll give you, a, a, you know, a pretty straightforward, uh, you know, rundown. It really sounds like Jason has been putting the pieces together, and and I truly think that, um, you know, I, I think you may have written this. the The sack to tackle ratio could be insane this year. Uh, this is a guy who I think if he's available to be a regular part of your rotation, and you can count on him to get after the quarterback for for twelve regular season games, that may give you uh, just a different different dynamic to your defense that maybe they didn't expect would be there 
for them in 2019. I think Jason Away, uh, that, that's a big step. If he's running in, in that 4-4 range, whatever, 4-3 range at his size, he's always been the athletic freak, but it's it's the technique, the fundamentals, and just his understanding of the game of football that allows him to actually play with that speed rather than waiting and, and digesting what he's seeing on the field and then using that speed. If he can if he can cut down on that transition time, you know, look out because this guy could really wreak havoc, even if he doesn't fully comprehend the position. Switching gears to recruiting, Penn State uh, with another We Are Better this earlier this week. Nick Dawkins, the offensive lineman from Parkland up in Allentown, uh, in the Allentown area. Uh, a guy with a, a big-time uh, athletic pedigree. His father, of course, Chocolate Thunder, Daryl Dawkins. Um, doesn't really... Uh, you know, it wasn't he wasn't raised by uh, Daryl or anything like that. It's not really a, a situation where you know he's he's expected to be you know the next one of those. But a guy that's grown a lot in the last couple of years uh, really has developed into a football prospect. We have him as an interior offensive lineman. We'll see if he does keep growing potentially into a tackle. I, I don't see that happening at this point. But solid get for Penn State. He's a guy that uh, is a three-star prospect by twenty-four-seven Sports. You put on the tape, you see some things you like. You see some things that he has to improve on but this is a guy that that rose late uh, relatively late uh, considering where we're at in the timeline but uh, had Northwestern after him had a couple of other schools Tennessee was on him uh, fairly early so um, there's stuff to like here and and Penn State's going to take a lot of guys on the offensive line this year probably six of them Um, they've got four already um, but uh, we'll, we'll see where Dawkins fits into that but another interior guy that makes three in this class Going to see if one of those guys can become a swing guy. Is it Dawkins? I don't know yet. I'm interested to see him camp and, and see his athletic numbers this summer. Yeah, Dawkins Dawkins comes to campus on March 23rd, uh, ends up with a scholarship offer, returns to campus campus April 22nd, ends up as a member of this recruiting class. So uh, a really uh, you know, quick work by the Nittany Lions staff and, and targeting an in-state player. We've talked a lot about how few and far between the scholarship offers have been for Pennsylvania prospects in this 2020 cycle. This is an example of them identifying uh, someone and then really handling that in a, in a timely fashion. And all of a sudden, Sean, they've got three commitments on the offensive line in April alone, four offensive linemen in a nine-player class. And we said it's going to be a big offensive line class. And and all of a sudden, you know, the, the proof is there. It, it, and uh, it, it's, it's swelled up pretty quickly. And, you know, I like the addition of Dawkins. You know, I, I certainly would not place him at the at the head of this offensive line group for Penn State uh, but you know they're taking care of it uh, with their O-line targets and you know there, there's certainly still more names out there but to have four guys on board here before you get through April I think that's that's a positive step obviously uh, when you're building out this class. And you've got Aaron Parks announcing on May 2nd, Penn State uh, leading in the 24-7 crystal ball for Aaron Parks. They were down to see him earlier this week, so got to feel pretty decent about your chances there. And then there's a bunch of tackles, uh, excuse me, a bunch of a bunch of linemen led by tackles because that's the way you're looking um, for, for the remainder of the class. Michael Carmody is going to get back on campus soon. Olaf Ashanu is a guy that I really like in D.C. Josh Fryer is, is more of an interior guy, but I think he can be a true swing guy. He's about six five and a half, so he's got some length to him. Um, so th- there's there's guys out there that you can move to, but you want to close on Carmody. You want to close on Fashanu. Uh, obviously, Aaron Parks is, is the immediate priority, but you want to take all those guys that you can get and go from there. So I, I agree with you. Um, this is this is a class that they've adjust, or addressed offensive linemen very strongly, very quickly. I think they kind of put a little bit of, of pressure on Dawkins to get moving, and uh, sort of he, he came through with it. So it's one of those things where uh, it's uh, the bulk of your class is probably going to be up front, and this is uh, this is an example of that. Yeah, it would have been wise for me to mention this at the very top of the show, but our listeners will get a chance to hear from one of those offensive linemen on this episode to, to, to wrap things up here in a bit with Grant Toutant joining the show. He was the first commitment in Penn State's 2020 class, uh, late stages of last season, been on board, a bunch of Big Ten interests for him uh, up in the uh, up in the state of Michigan. So Sean got a chance to chat with him. And then um, as a teaser next week, you know, uh, you can look forward. You're also going to hear from Nick Dawkins about this commitment, uh, about being the son of a former NBA star and, and all this. Uh, and all the different stuff that, that you'd like to hear from Nick Dawkins. So we got you covered on the offensive linemen who, who rarely get enough love, but they certainly do here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Going from a uh, in-state prospect to an international prospect's 
Penn State coaches, three assistants, and James Franklin himself uh, overseas this week. And, and you had a couple of stories up on Lions 24-7, Sean, uh, about this trip. Uh, signed a player, Joseph Darkwa, um, out, out of the out of German football last year. I would love to hear a little bit more of the details from your end because I know you're very aware of this. But this is a pipeline that is really developing um, for college football in general. Barton Simmons from 24-7 Sports was over at a, a major function in, in Amsterdam, um, you know, getting a lay of the land with a lot of those prospects. We're seeing a lot more of these guys transition over to Power 5 football, FBS football. Penn State is making sure that they're near the forefront of this thing, it seems like. Looking for athletes in Europe is is basically the the, the, the viewpoint that Penn State has taken from it. They got Darkwell last year, and they're going to take a look at some of these other guys. James Franklin, Terry Smith, Sean Spencer, and Tim Banks went to Germany Germany this week. And that's a quick turnaround because they were there on Tuesday, and I think they're on their way back on Thursday afternoon. So that's a quick little uh, touch the line in Germany and come back. But uh, they were just it, – it, first off, the, the camp that they went to, it's a fundamental skills camp. So it's kind of a loophole in terms of going to uh, see these things. James Franklin was a keynote speaker there. So it's not your typical uh, – you know, it's not like a Nike camp. It's not like an Under Armour camp or anything like that. So the, these coaches were able to go there, work the camp, work with some of these guys and sort of develop some of their games. And, and they, they saw a couple of guys they liked. And honestly – um, I could tell you who they are, but I can't pronounce their names. Um, <laughs> one guy, uh, Barton Simmons, uh, is an offensive lineman. Barton Simmons described him as a, a guy straight out of Game of Thrones. So uh, 6'8", 282. So you, you're looking for guys like that that sort of break the mold. Um, the skill level is not going to be very high. You have to go in expecting something like that. So um, it's, one of those, uh, it's one of those times where you're not really sure what you're looking at except how these guys move, how these guys handle uh, you know, different uh, things that you throw at them, uh, term, terminology and things like that. So, I mean, there, there are plenty of athletes there, and, and it's, it, the backgrounds are so different than what we have here in the States. Uh, this offensive lineman played soccer for 14 years. You've got guys with handball backgrounds and, and, and a, guy, a guy that did a 10-8 broad at, uh, at this, con, this combine in Amsterdam had a background in parkour. So, I mean, it's just there's so much difference, uh, so many different things. So you're just kind of scratching the surface with all these guys. So Penn State looking for athletes out there. They've got a really good relationship with Brandon. Brandon Collier of PPI Recruits, who, who we mentioned several times during the Darkwell recruitment, played for Sean Spencer at UMass. Um, and he, he was not the guy that ran this particular camp, but he's got kind of got a hand in everything over there. So you can find athletes over there. There have been schools that have sort of opened up to it in the last couple of years. Jeff Collins, who was at Temple, is now at Georgia Tech. He went over to check things out. You'll see a lot of these same schools uh, offering guys. Michigan has a guy from there. Notre Dame has a commit from there, uh, from Germany. Uh, Georgia Tech is, is, is well into taking some of these guys. And Virginia signed three Germans in the last cycle. So it's kind of, uh, it's really an interesting backstory. I don't know that a ton is going to come of it, but you know, if you sign one or two guys out of a 25 man class, I mean, that's a, a large percentage of, uh, of your class. And, and to be honest with you, a lot of schools spend more time and, and resources chasing guys that they're not going to get in the state. So, I mean, it's, it's worth it to go over there, see if you can find a freak, see if you can find a guy that can, can help your roster. And it's not, you're probably not finding a quarterback there. You're probably going to look more at the, you know, guys like an edge rusher or a defensive back or things like that. So, but the, but there's, there's value in going over there and checking it out. And, and for Penn state to try and get it on this ground floor, I think that's really what you're trying to take away from it. Yeah, back in 2016, I had an opportunity to go up to Canada for about a week and a half, four different cities. I was tagging along with, uh, you know, a, a football camp series uh, run by a former CFL player who now actually is with a college program as a coach up up in Canada. Um, but the stories I would hear after these camps from kids who, if they were camping, uh, you know, in Baltimore or Miami or New Jersey, you know, they'd be on the radar, but they are just not getting any sniffs. And we're talking about, you know, Montreal, which, you know, is, is what, an hour, two hours from, from the border. Overseas, I can't imagine what it's like to, to, to grow up with that dream of playing American football and trying to find a path to it. Now, it sounds like there are 
more opportunities there this this week is a clear uh, you know clear indication of that when you have a coach of, of Franklin's stature coming over and, and and as a keynote speaker and and bringing several members of his staff. Uh, but yeah, I think you're always looking for what's the next you know on tapped resource in, in recruiting. Um, you know, very may well be Europe. Uh, you know, and I think the key is is to be consistent. I don't think you need to be over in Germany three times a year paying house visits, uh, but I think you need to be consistently checking in. And it sounds like they've got that back and forth, uh, this situation in Europe. So it'll be interesting to watch. And we know, by the way, Penn State uh, did a nice job bringing in uh, those Canadian players as they go back to Canada. Sutherland, uh, Daniel Joseph, Jesse Lucetta, all out of Ontario. Guys who, though, relocated to the States uh, to play high school football, give themselves a shot. The difference here is, you know, these guys are playing football in Europe and got to go find them a little bit more. So uh, cool stuff. It will be interesting to see what comes out of that. Um, Sean, I'll let you bring this one in. It's going to be our, our final segment of this edition of the podcast. Grant Tutant joined you for a conversation. Um, and, of course, next week when we get back, uh, we'll wrap up all the uh, the draft conversation, and uh, everyone can mock our mock drafts as much as they want. We'll figure out who wins some beer out of uh, me and Sean as we're kind of all over the place with our picks. But, uh, again, Sean, the first member of the Penn State 20, uh, 2020 class, Grant Tutant, um, definitely looking forward to hearing what he had to say. Tutant is a guy, um, and I talked to him earlier this week, and it's a fairly good interview. I, uh, it's um, he's a guy that Penn State really liked very early and decided to to sort of just ramp up and throw everything at him right away. He was the first commit in the class, and really, truly, he wasn't getting a ton of attention at that point. Since then, kind of everything has changed. I mean, he's he's hit the camp circuit. Of course, he closed his junior year with a state title. He hit the camp circuit hard, and he's really, really continued. You continue to see his improvement. We talk a little bit about that in the interview. But, yeah, it's a kid I'm very high on. He's got the uh, athletic capabilities to play, I think, on either side uh, at tackle. And he's a guy that uh, just, as, as I said, continues to get better. And this is a, a guy that the staff is very high on. Other staff's high on him as well. He's still got uh, Ohio State calling him, Michigan State calling him, Auburn offered, I think, last week. So it's, uh, it, it, it's kind of uh, it's a kid with a high ceiling. I think his his rating, he was uh, recently bumped to a four-star by 24-7 Sports. I think that can continue to climb, but he's got uh, he's got a world potential at, uh, at tackle. He was Penn State's first commit back in November. Now he's fresh off a trip to Florida with his family. Grant, thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. How have things been going for you? Oh, everything's going good right now. I mean, that trip really, really helped me relax and just kind of get away from everything for a bit and kind of get some time to myself and really just get ready to go back into things in spring and then the camps in the summer and then eventually the season. You've hit the camp scene pretty hard. I know uh, there's been a lot of talk. We had Alan True on a couple of weeks ago talking about your improvement and you, it's showing up at these camps. I mean, why, why if you committed in November, why do you keep going back to these camps to sort of showcase yourself? I just keep going back to the camps just to get better. There's always room for improvement, especially at, at the position of O-line. I mean, even at the college level and Beyond that, there's, you're always improving, so there's no reason why not to. What What do you get out of this? I mean, you, you you obviously you know you can go out. You've seen guys that go out there and maybe get beat and look bad and things like that. What do you get out of putting yourself out of there? And what what do you improve the most coming out of these camps? Do you think? I think it just kind of gives me a different view, almost of different techniques that can be used, especially in pass blocking, like what to do with your hands, feet movement, different types of sets stuff like that, and also go up against co good competition, like competition at the opening, the Under Armour All-American camp, I mean, going up against people like Braden McGregor, people like that. Well, take us back to November. I mean, you, you kind of, uh, I guess you told the staff in advance and then kind of waited a little bit and, st and still felt right about it in late November. How did that come together? Can you tell us a story about your commitment, why you committed to Penn State, and how that played out? I think I kind of had the idea about committing I mean, a few weeks before I announced it. And I was in the middle of playoffs at the time, really trying to go on another state title run, which we did. And I really just wanted to keep everybody focused on the team and winning, keep winning, keep on winning. So I kind of waited till I literally committed the day after we won the state championship. So I just wanted to make sure everybody on our team's head was square and looking in the right direction. Sounds like it paid off. What what did it for Penn State? Why uh, why jump on that so quick? I just had a really good relationship with the coaches. I mean, freshman year, I met um, graduate assistant uh, Mark Dupuy at a Wayne State prospect camp. 
and he just liked how I moved. And at the time, I was still playing defense, and he just liked how big I was and how I could move and my athleticism. He invited me to the camp, and I just kind of kept in contact, went to the camp, and that was my first time actually playing offense, really. They kind of put me onto it. And I went the next year, and I had I'd say a pretty good camp. I had a really good conversation after camp with Coach Linegrover about what I needed to do to get better and get an offer. And later in the year, he called me and said, look, you checked off all the boxes. We just watched your film. You got an offer. And just the relationship with them and the atmosphere and the place and how I felt with the coaches, that and the time they took to look at me. They, I mean, they went to my Oak Park playoff game. I mean, I don't know a lot of head coaches that would stand out in the pouring rain to watch high school football. I mean, it was it was rough that game, but to see Coach Franklin go and watch my game, that and it just felt really comfortable there, and just felt like the right place. This is a a school that you know I, I guess has been on you for a while. I mean, it, it didn't stop your recruitment whenever you um, when you committed to Penn State. I know you have still still have some schools coming after you, but what's that been like since for you? I mean, after I committed, everything really calmed down. I mean, yeah, I get an offer here and there, but I'm committed right now, so that's pretty much it. Okay. So what's next for you? I guess you were out to Penn State for the blue-white game. You coming back anytime soon? Uh, I know I'll be back for the whiteout camp for sure, and i probably probably sneak in a visit just to go see there here and there, but not much because spring ball is done. So I'll probably definitely be out there this summer, though. Penn State's putting together a pretty big uh, offensive line class so far, four commits. Um, what, what's your thoughts on coming in with a big group like that? And are you working on any of those guys to uh, to join you? I mean, I mean, the one person I probably talked to the most out of those guys is probably R.J. Adams. I met him, uh, I think it was a junior day. I met him, and we kind of we just kind of kept talking. And I know I have not met um, Dawkins yet, um, but I have met – Golden and uh, RJ and those guys, I really like those guys. I mean, I think we're in a pretty good class when it comes to the line, depending on who we get for our tackles. I mean, our guards are really solid right now with RJ, Golden, and Dawkins. You keeping an eye on the rest of the class? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know those guys as much, but I, I mean, I, I'd like to get to know them a lot better. I mean, with going to camps and more visits and game days and stuff like that. And I, I think I need to get to know those guys better. I don't know them as well, but I know the old line guys pretty good. Was there a coach that really jumped out to you or anything like that? You mentioned Coach Lime Grover and the uh, relationship you have with him. I know Tim Banks recruits uh, the Detroit area, and, and Tyler Bowen's been out there as well. Is there anybody that really has jumped out to you from that aspect? Uh, I'd say Tyler Bowen. He's a really, he's the offensive recruiting coach. So I, he, I mean, he, every time the coaches came in, he would he would come in and say hi. And, I believe he was actually at my Oak Park game, too, along with Coach Franklin. Um, I talked to him. Him and Coach Leingrove, I've talked to a lot throughout this process. Damn. And Dupuis, the GA, I've talked to him. I'd say i talked to him the most, more than Coach Leingrove and Coach Bowen, just because I've known him the longest. Was Was there any one thing that put Penn State over the top? Any one thing you're most excited about with that program or anything like that? I would say it was just a combination of everything. I mean, the atmosphere there is crazy. I mean, it's it's undescribable almost. I mean, when there was there's not one specific thing I could say or describe it as. It's just a combination of everything. It just felt like the right place to be. All right, Grant, thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Of course, you can catch him. He's a new, uh, new four-star on 24-7 sports um, and one of Penn State's uh, key commits so far in the class of 2020. Thanks for joining us, Grant. Thanks. Always good to chat with future Nittany Lions, Grant Toutant, no exception. That'll do it for us this week on the Lions 24-7 podcast. We hope you spend your weekend watching the draft, following along with us on Lions 24-7, but we will catch you next week. Reminder, we'll have Nicholas Dawkins, Penn State's latest commit on there, and we'll be back to recap the draft and a few other things. Thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast.